On this week's episode of Let's Talk About It, we're going to get started with our Faith in Context segment on church innovation. Going to do a little bit of exploring on the history of church innovation, the evolution of it, and what are some ways that it can look today that might be healthy. Then we're going to continue with our entertainment segment and explore recycled versus original cinematic content. You know all about it. The beloved reboots that have been coming out, plaguing our televisions for the last several years. We want to talk about whether we should be watching those and what we can get out of it. So you're here. You made it. Now let's talk about it. Well, hello there. Yo. It's another episode of Let's Talk About It. <laughs> this is Malcolm Morgan. This is Micah Morgan. Did you like my intro? Uh, you know, the the tone of your voice was interesting. That's that was new. It's dramatic. Yeah. Make the people get the, the people, people going. going. Yep. You know? Figured that's where you were going with that. So I'm not even going to say anything. I'm just going to give you the the, intro, the guitar riff. <laughs> Do you know what today is? <laughs> Y'all, it is our 10th anniversary at the time of this recording. We're 10 years old. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Wrong sound effect. (laughs) That's what I wanted. That's what you wanted. So, you know, it's just a regular, regular day, right? She said sarcastically. 10 days. 10 years. (laughs) Not 10 days, 10 years. Well, that's kind of beautiful if it just feels like 10 days for you. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it doesn't. a lifetime. Somehow, I don't know how something can both feel as long as it, as it is, but I feel like it's not also representative of our journey. I feel like our journey has been longer than 10 years. Oh. You know? I agree. Wow. <laughs> By the time you guys listen to this, the anniversary will have been over. It's but true. It's true. Behind the curtain, this is how we do things, guys. You might even have questions about why we're doing this on our anniversary. One answer is we really enjoy this. Yes, we do enjoy this. So, and yeah, that's, it. that's the only answer that we're. <laughs> that's gonna the get. only answer. Yeah. <laughs> so, other than that, well, how happy are anniversary! You doing? Happy anniversary! <laughs> <laughs> I'm also curious about how you're doing today. I don't know. No, it's been a it's been a good it's been a good day. You know, trying to get some stuff ready before we embark on our anniversary, our annual anniversary. Well. Trip. It's our first anniversary trip to, in a while. In a while, man, COVID has really um, changed some things yes. about our rhythms. Yes, but we're not going to be giving COVID all this, all this screen time, all this. It's, it's true. That's good. We'll save that episode time. for another, save that talk for another episode. What is it? Stage time? Yeah. Whatever. Mic time. Mic time. Thank Air you. time. Air time. There Thank you. Yep. Trying to find it. We got it. We finally got it, guys. <laughs> it took all this time. So, man, we are not starting off light and fluffy today. Step did it in this episode, that's for sure. (laughs) No, I hope it won't be too heavy. (laughs) I mean, this is something I've been thinking about a lot, Um, you know, just as we've all been going through the gestures broadly at the world. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And within the context of the church, 
how the pandemic has changed the way the church looks and the Mm -hmm. way the church operates. And so church innovation is something I think we're going to have to continue Mm -hmm. intentionally discussing anyway, but we're going to do a little bit of it here today. (laughs) So I think one of the things that I've been curious about is First off, when we think of innovation, what's kind of a working definition that we can have in our minds? Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, like when you think of the word innovation, how would you define it? Oh, gosh. Webster's. No, I'm not going to do that. Uh, (laughs) No, I think innovation. I think for me, innovation is very connected to growth. Okay. I think any industry organization institution mm-hmm. I think should be striving for for growth and that growth inevitably leads to innovation innovation is I think especially in the church context we think of it as not changing the the message not changing the core beliefs mm-hmm. but maybe the method changes you know innovation a lot of time is tied to technology but it's not always that it's um, you know social media for example is an innovation but it's still a part of the communication and marketing sphere. True. It's yeah. just an evolution of that. It's a part of the method. You've gone from largely a print world to a completely digital world now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Same same general thing that we're doing, communicating information and getting information, but we have completely innovated how we get it, how we have access to it, mm-hmm. and where it's available. I'm curious, though, when you... Think of the direction between growth and innovation. Mm-hmm. Am I hearing you say growth comes first and then the innovation? Uh, that's a good question. In your mind? Yeah. I think they're tied together, mm-hmm. but they don't always coincide, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Because I guess some innovation comes from something new coming into the equation, I guess. Right. A new company, a new technology. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily tied to something else, but I think for the most part, you could you could tie innovation to growth. Yeah, that's so interesting to hear you say that. I I my working definition of innovation actually doesn't have anything to do with growth mm. immediately. So now I'm sitting here kind of chewing on what you said, but. In the meantime, the way I do think about it is in terms of creativity. Mm. I think innovation is the commitment to the exploration of the evolution of ideas and methodology. Mm -hmm. But for me, that's fundamentally creative. Mm. Um, And I also think innovation is just a natural part of being human. Mm. Okay. Um, Now, of course, we've... I mean, there have been scientists who have observed what they be- what they would call creativity in the animal kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are mammals who, you know, thinking of chimps and things, they're able to to draw. And I'm thinking of uh, uh, what is it, hunchback whales that do the really pretty songs. And mm-hmm. you know, scientists have noticed that the songs sound different based on like what the whale, who the whale is calling, or how they feel. So I think creativity doesn't only show up with within humanity. Mm-hmm. But I think when it comes to God creating us in their image, that that is one 
very special element Mm -hmm. that God trusted us with Mm. and expects for us to cultivate. Mm. Um, So that's, that's kind of what comes to mind for me. I think the other thing that, that I just thought about was I think innovate, a lot of innovation starts with with a disruption of some kind. And so the two examples I thought of were um, the music industry. Mm. We had the development of like Napster and LimeWire where people were getting music for free. And then we saw everything kind of shift to or begin the shift to iTunes Mm -hmm. and Spotify and streaming digital music. Um, So it started with that disruption. And then we've got this innovation of of music moving way more digital than analog than it was before. Yeah. Same thing. We can look at like Blockbuster and Netflix. Blockbuster obviously cornered (laughs) the market (laughs) on on video and then Netflix comes in with streaming and now everything has shifted in that direction. So I think disruption and, you know, to tie it into what we're talking about now, COVID has really done that for the church. It has forced an innovation, I think, in an area further into a direction that maybe a lot of church has started going, but a lot of churches were forced into going um, once COVID kind of hit and shut down the world. Interesting. Okay, now you really have my my wheels turning because if we're thinking about disruption as a familiar catalyst to innovation, Mm -hmm. now that has me kind of, now, okay, this is a caveat. Y'all know, maybe, that history is not my thing. So I'm really just thinking out loud right here. But hearing you talk about disruption as the catalyst for innovation has me curious about what got the church growth movement going Mm. like what disruption motivated that Mm -hmm. um because when i think of the history of church of church innovation i think of the the north american like u.s church growth movement in like the 80s Mm -hmm. um as one of the most major church innovation movements or at least attempts of the church to do innovation in a systematic way Mm -hmm. um I don't know. Can you think of anything just like within like our timeline history wise in Western culture that might have been a disruption or was that just like happenstance that that movement took off the way it did? I don't know. I think I think we saw it it may be and I'm not this is I'm. Coming off, the, yeah, off my hip off with this, but it may be connected to kind of the rise of the televangelist, like branded ministers and branded churches that started to to pop up. Hmm. And churches previously were very local. It was very you go to the church that's in your area, right. in your neighborhood, even, and that's just all all you had, and that's it. Like mm-hmm. you you, didn't, you weren't really exposed to too much else unless you went in your church fellowship with another church or you went to a had family and you went to their church right. it really wasn't and, and you know, families pretty much stuck stay, to the same stuck to the same church that their mama went to their daddy went to all that stuff mm-hmm. um and so i think television and those type of ministries you know being able to see billy graham on television um you know later on td jakes and joel olstein and those people expanded people's horizons and I think showed people that church can be marketed, can be polished, Mm. can be clean. Yeah. And people started to strive for that. Yeah. And then that has me wondering like, which came first, the chicken or the egg kind Mm -hmm. of situation. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm still learning about the history of the church growth movement. um, But from what I know 
uh, Donald McGavern, mm-hmm. McGavern um, was kind of considered the father of the white evangelical modern church growth movement. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he really created this systematized way of thinking about missiology or expanding the church mm-hmm. that, I mean, when you think about whether it worked, technically worked mm-hmm. for him, you know, it, it was the tangible fruit of seeing droves of people attracted to a newly established church or church plant. Mm-hmm. That was evidence that it was working. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I hear you think out loud about kind of the televangelism, you know, I'm thinking about Billy Graham. I am curious if that was a motivator to, to mm-hmm. kind of say, okay, you know, going and, and attracting disciples mm-hmm. is a really key way for the church to find new creative solutions mm-hmm. to growth. But then, of course, to expand the conversation, I also find myself curious about how the church has defined growth mm-hmm. over time. Um, and I'm imagining, of course, you know, I was <laughs> not born yet in the 80s. Um, <laughs> but as I'm reading about kind of the church growth movement, growth was thought of in terms of numbers mm-hmm. um, for a lot of folks with with that church growth movement mentality kind of operating. Mm-hmm. Um, but now like I find myself thinking about with the pandemic looming over us in a lot of significant ways still, even after three years, how are we defining growth now? Mm. Um, and I don't know. I've just been reflecting on that a lot lately for you being in ministry. What are some ways that you think about growth? I think the the pandemic helped kind of crystallize that growth is is about way more than numbers more less about those metrics but it's about community mm-hmm. and connection mm-hmm. i mean during the pandemic it was i mean when you're meeting every week you have a op, you have a built-in way to see okay people are engaged people are coming people are worshiping whatever but when you're in a when you're not able to meet physically yeah Okay, so how you have to look at engagement differently. You have mm-hmm. to look at how people are staying connected differently. Yeah. And so I think looking at looking at that, you know, for us it was small groups, it was um, you know, prayer and other ancillary things mm-hmm. that we were doing. How are people caring for each other? Mm-hmm. Um for our church community, we saw people developing their own kind of pods where they could fellowship together, have their mm-hmm. kids play together. Yeah. Um and things like that. So I think those are kind of the, but those are the things that you kind of start to look at, but it's still hard because I mean, there's no, it's not like we're going to each place and saying, okay, how, how's this going over here? (laughs) It's all (laughs) like kind of word of mouth and social media and who you happen to know and have talked to. It's, it's tough. Which, which makes me wonder if a key part of kind of the evolution of church innovation also involves redefining the way we measure growth and success. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, like if we're kind of tracking the evolution in the eighties, the evidence of growth would have been a bunch of new people popping up at your church. Mm-hmm. Um, but now here in the present, we've had to redefine what the signs of growth are mm-hmm. and kind of re reimagine them as folks, like you said, 
connecting on a regular basis, really being interested and curious about each other's internal worlds, mm-hmm. meeting each other's needs, engaging in care, all of that. Um, so that really introduces for me an additional layer of what church innovation is, that it's, of course, you know, a part of growth, it's creativity, but that it's also kind of redefining the way that we measure oh, yeah. success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then that kind of brings us to the present and kind of thinking about if the church is doing innovation, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of the implied, mm-hmm. uh, what am I thinking of, part of the argument. Mm-hmm. Um, why, like, why does the church need to innovate if it does at all? Mm-hmm. What do you think? I mean, the easy answer is the world around us is changing. <laughs> right. People are changing. Um, it's either going to innovate for us or you'll get innovated right out of the conversation. Right. <laughs> right. And I think that's, that's the tough thing about church innovation is that the church overall is pretty slow to change because mm. we don't want to feel like we're reflecting the culture or reflecting. Yeah. Reflecting the culture, I guess is the best way to put it. <sighs> And I so, almost got in my soapbox about that. And so, <laughs> so as we look to like, oh, the times are changing, you'll see a lot of people start to resist that and be like, oh, so what is that? God is the same. It's like, mm. yeah, God is the same, but our methods, <laughs> our strategies <laughs> should evolve <laughs> as the times evolve. Mm-hmm. That doesn't change our message. It doesn't change our purpose. It doesn't yeah. change the things that are important to us, but it does change how we do ministry. It really does. And I mean, I think there's so much wisdom in being willing to say that, yes, God stays the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, how the world responds to the gospel is changing. Mm. Um, and I, I can't help but to think about, um, you know, there's a scripture in Second Timothy, I want to say like chapter 4, toward the beginning, um, where it talks about or encourages us rather to preach the word and be prepared to like make sure you're able to do it in a way that's patient with careful instruction Mm -hmm. but then there's also a part in there that talks about how people will not always just kind of receive sound Mm -hmm. doctrine yeah um and so it's important for us not to just assume that because we do things the same way that we're just going to get these miraculous fruit bearing results. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's some, some humility in being willing to say like the world is changing and mm-hmm. it takes creativity to present the gospel in a way that's going to be received readily and really mm-hmm. take root and bear fruit. Yeah. And I think we have an example of Jesus to look to for this. When he told stories, when he told parables, he told stories that the people could relate to digest and understand in a language that they understood at the time. You see him use a lot of farming metaphors, a lot of agricultural language, because that's what the people were doing every day. Mm-hmm. And so if you could connect with them where they are, they're way more likely to understand your message mm-hmm. and to embrace it and bring it into their lives. Exactly. Exactly. So that's one reason why the church needs to innovate. Um, or I guess that's technically two reasons, right? Like the world is changing, but then also the reason we innovate is because as the world changes, we want to make sure we're presenting the gospel in a way that can be mm-hmm. received. Um, but I think a third reason why the church 
innovates or should innovate is again, I think is an extension of God's creativity, Mm. like to be able to show the world that we are also excited by um, being creative and finding creative solutions to serve others. Mm. I think that's, I think that in and of itself is a, is a beautiful ministry to the world. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause if you think about it, going back to your point about kind of uh, being counter to the culture Mm -hmm. Capitalism basically says if you find a way to do things that keeps productivity flowing, just keep doing that. Like Mm -hmm. if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think what's beautiful about what can be beautiful about the church is that we can find beautiful, caring, nurturing ways to do things um, that are new. But again, don't change the gospel message that still serve people. And so I think that's another reason why. The church should innovate. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I've gone on a journey of, of discovering how creativity fits in the kingdom of God. And so I think that's really important that we do highlight that, that God is the ultimate creative. <laughs> Absolutely. That's one of my favorite things about God, you know, and I know like all of us have attributes of God that we naturally mm-hmm. lean into. Like for a lot of people, it's God's power. Mm-hmm. It's God's justice. For a lot of people, it's God's love. But for me, one of my favorite things about God is God's creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's just so many ways that we can expect God to bless us. And I feel so inspired by and just blessed by seeing God do things in a really creative way, yeah. you know, that we didn't see coming. Like for me, that just is such a beautiful part of God. Absolutely. So I think the, the invitation is keep on innovating, keep on innovating and take, <laughs> and I think the, the, one of the bad things about the pandemic, I think is it sped up churches a little bit more than they would have liked to. Oh, sped up like aged. I'm talking about it put them doing things that maybe they weren't ready for. Mm, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, especially when it comes to like live streaming, you know, really embracing social media as a, as a form of communication. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, you think about it, churches really, we rely a lot on communicating with people in service, mm-hmm. announcements and word of mouth, you know, all of those things. Um, and so churches having to really embrace if you don't have, you know, an email list or you don't have everyone's information, social media can be a touch point for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I think overall, especially smaller churches have been a lot slower to embrace social media because it's like, oh, we don't need it. Yeah. And the ways that we discover that we have discovered what, what we really did need. Mm-hmm. I mean, the pandemic just really has not been gracious mm-hmm. to, you know, a lot of folks. So. Yeah, and I mean, I can't I can't help but also at least try to sober myself and remember that we I mean, we all churches are trying to embody the great commission, yeah. right? To to make disciples. And so, even when I reflect on the modern church growth movement, there's quite a bit of it that I lament kind of looking back on it because mm-hmm. that was of course the birthing ground of the homogenous unit principle, which was this kind of obsession with creating a space that encourages folks to look the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that ended up becoming was a, a white evangelical church that was very, very homogenous. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's something that I lament. 
I also lament that, you know, there was kind of a hyperfixation on numbers and mm-hmm. whatnot. But even alongside of that, there was this this commitment to how do we get folks connected with God? Mm-hmm. How do we get folks following Jesus? Um, and so, like we said earlier, as long as that message stays at the root, that commitment stays at the root, mm-hmm. then innovation can really be a beautiful thing, that evolution of innovation in the church. And innovation, you know, before we leave this conversation, I want to make sure that people understand innovation doesn't have to change your identity. I think it's, what's important is to find the innovations, a place for growth, a place for creativity that is authentic to you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in your church body. Um, you know, I've, I've, you know, I think we all were pushed to do live streaming, but I've been doing a lot of reading and research on my own as a person involved in ministry that maybe live streaming isn't for every church, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, especially now that we're coming back to in-person worship and that's becoming more common. It's important that we don't try to take other churches strategies and just blanketly apply it mm. to us. Look at the, look at your church, look at ways that you can grow, raise ways that you could spread the gospel, reach your people and reach other people, but mm. do it in a way that's authentic. That's real for you. That's attainable for you. That's the part. And for yeah. your volunteers and for your staff. That's really the most important thing is that we are trying to evolve with the times, but also staying within our means and doing what works for us. Mm-hmm. That's good. Speaking of innovation, <laughs> one place <laughs> that is slow to innovate in, in innovate in some ways is the entertainment industry. Hmm. I think especially during the pandemic when we were all locked at home watching our TVs, we saw a lot of reunion specials. We saw <laughs> fundraisers of, for example, the office uh, you know, doing a table read of one of their episodes live to raise money oh, and things like right. that. Um, but we're seeing a lot of recycled content or yeah. rebooted content. Mm-hmm. And so we want to talk about recycled and rebooted content versus original content. Yeah. Why don't we start with some of the bigger ones that came out mm-hmm. recently? Um, so looking at, some rebooted things. I think right. during the pandemic, some of the big things that we saw was um, the Fresh Prince reunion. Yeah, that's the first one. I thought that was of. a big one, and then of course the the um, reboot of the Fresh Prince mm-hmm. called Bel Air that came on Peacock. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of a unique situation where somebody kind of threw out an idea, put together a whole trailer of what a dramatic retelling of yes. the original comedic Fresh Prince was. I still remember when that came out. And the, I mean, the timeline was on fire. Yeah, yeah. Everybody was like, oh, we would love to when see When can it. we get this? And then yeah. Will Smith saw it, connected with the guy who did it, and throughout the pro- were able to work out a process, start writing, getting the cast together, and created mm-hmm. the show that actually put together a pretty good modern retelling of a classic show that we all know and love. Yes. Um, so I think during the pandemic, that was a couple. Any examples that come to your mind? Yeah, I mean, there's that one, um, Jurassic Park, that just came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also, what's the one with, um, was it Brad Pitt? Uh, with the airplanes? Oh, you're talking about with Tom Cruise? Uh, Tom Ma- Cruise. Maverick. Maverick, yeah. yeah. they did the Top Gun sequel. I don't know why I get those gentlemen mixed mm-hmm. up. My bad. <laughs> um, and then, of course, Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Is now back on our TV screens as was it House House of, Dra- House House of the of Dragon? Dragon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are also ones that come to mind. But I'm also thinking of like um, TV shows. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the one 
goodness, I should have looked this up before we started. But that's so Raven is oh, now yeah. back on our screen. Is, is it Raven's House? I think or something it's like Raven's that? House. A few yeah. years ago, they did the Boy, Boy Meets World. Oh, that's right. S- sequel show yeah. where they followed like the kids. It uh-huh. was um, Girl Meets World or yep. something like that. Yep. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, for me, Raven's House. I was excited about that one because I loved mm-hmm. that so Raven when I was growing up. But a lot of people were like, um, yeah, nobody asked for this. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just it's been interesting. And I, I do kind of going back to where you, where you started um, just a few minutes ago. It did feel like the pandemic was a catalyst for a mm-hmm. lot of that. Um it almost felt like a lot of, you know, producers and screenwriters were sitting there like twiddling their thumbs like, all right, so <laughs> what are we going to do with all this extra time on our hands? And the reboot felt like a very convenient outlet for that creativity. And it's safe. It's intellectual intellectual property that, you know, has a built in audience mm, yep. um, that is going to reach that audience is going to be excited to to reengage with that story. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's kind of a low risk proposition. At a minimum, you have this built-in audience, and then maybe you're introducing this to a whole new generation True. of of listeners and watchers. Um, but especially during a pandemic, when everybody's trying to figure out how can we get eyes on our product, mm-hmm. how can we mm-hmm. get eyes on our streaming service, what's a tried and true way to do that? Pull up something old that we know works. Let's polish off some things. Bring back the actors that you love. Nostalgia. Nostalgia is a heck of a drug. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, yeah, for the most part, I did see a lot of positive responses. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like, I'm also thinking about, like, some of the animated movies, for example. Um, Mulan, when oh, Mulan yeah. 2 came out and Murphy, uh, Eddie Murphy wasn't in it. Oh, you mean the you mean the, the live action Mulan they did? Are you talking yes. about the... Okay. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Sorry about that. Um, but just like the response of like, who asked for this? Everyone knows the original is the best one. You know, that reaction, I think, was almost unanimous mm-hmm. from what I saw. Um, but then I remember you and I were also talking about uh, Lion King. Mm-hmm. Not the live act. Well, the live action one I was also a little confused about because, again, no one asked for that. <laughs> um, but, you know, Beyonce did her thing and whatnot. So. Makes sense, um, but what were the what were the movies that we were talking about? Where I said I hadn't saw, I hadn't. Seen. It was The Lion King too. Was it, was it a, or was it one and half or something? One and a well, half. Well, yeah, there was. They did a one and a half thing. Yeah, a few years. Uh, nah, it's been a while now, right? Um, <laughs> but it really wasn't a different movie. It was just like some, I think, some additional scenes. Oh, okay, and stuff like that. But then there was The Lion King too. Yeah. That was a, it's an actual uh, sequel. Um, to like, and that's the one where the for shame song, yes, is in. okay, deception. <laughs> I had to get my my bearings yes. right, um, but yeah, I had completely overlooked that one mm-hmm. because, like and I, I had said, seen it before. No one asked for that. <laughs> and where I was a kid, like, oh, Lion King two's coming out. Oh, I need to see it. Mm-mm. You know, and as a kid, it was cool. Yeah, didn't go back to it. But. So I mean, with, so then that brings me to. Just being curious about like the kind of folks that enjoy reboots. Mm-hmm. Um, like I know for me, my personality is kind of like I'm really content with if something's good, mm-hmm. then it's good. Like I don't need it to be redone. I don't need nothing added to it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I find myself being really content with the original and a little irritated by reboot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I don't know, like, what, what do you think would be like some ingredients to someone's personality? Is it more than nostalgia that would motivate someone to be like, yeah, I really love reboots? Well, I think I mean, we have to. Sep- I think we had to separate re- reboots from like sequels mm, okay. because sequels, I think, are the continuation of a story, right? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm blurring them together. So a lot of stories you want to see. Okay, what happens next? Right. Like, what happens next? I, I want to see like more of these characters and all of these things. Whereas reboots, where you're taking something and doing it again, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it is an opportunity. To do some different, make some different choices. I think in the, I, I, I enjoyed the live action Disney movies because they're a little different. Mm. They gave me something a little different. Like, I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll use the example of Aladdin. Like, people looked at Aladdin and they were like, how are we going to do the genie without Robin Williams? Robin Williams is I the know. genie. How can we even touch this in any way? I feel like for me, Will Smith did a good job of not trying to do a Robin Williams impression. Okay, but okay. make make it make it his own. Added his own flair to things. Made it more. You know, we had kind of the the dancing and the rapping more so than the singing, right? That we saw in the in the original. Right. So it's cool to see people kind of take these. Okay. Take these roles that we have completely, you know, put in a box of certain people. Yeah. But then also see kind of new life be breathed into it. And then it, it reimagines it for another generation where, you know, the next generation of kids aren't, may not necessarily love Aladdin and Lion King mm-hmm. and goofy movie like we did because we were kids when we saw it. Right. Right. But if they see this new one, they're like, Oh, I love Aladdin. Same story, same basic premise. Yeah. But now they, now the genie to them is Will Smith and not Robin Williams. Okay. Okay. I'm sitting here. I'm, you know, I'm, I felt myself tense up a little bit when you started <laughs> talking about, uh, Will Smith as the genie because again, I was sitting there like, um, you can't redo Robin Williams. Like mm-hmm. that is the genie. He is, he will always be the genie. Like mm-hmm. y'all, I love, I absolutely love Aladdin. Um, but I will give you that. I think, I think you're right. I think Will Smith really did a good job of making that his own. Um, so yeah, I do appreciate that clarification between like the sequel and the um the reboot. Mm-hmm. But then that also makes me curious if we go back to Bel Air. Mm-hmm. I think there were some really cool ways that even though that was co- technically a reboot, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there were some cool ways that they <sighs> ex- maybe expanded the story or like filled in. The story for us mm-hmm. in a way that almost felt like a sequel, maybe like the story yeah, was being continued. I see what you're saying. I yeah. Think, yeah, it's a. I think so. In with the Bel Air example, I think a lot of what they did was try to pay homage to the original right. series in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Little, you know, you saw the the um, old Aunt Viv right in the show, and but we get to see kind of these characters. In a much more complex way. That's it. Okay. Yeah. They're way more. I don't want to. I don't want to make this sound like I'm talking badly about the old show because the Fresh Prince of Bel Air is my favorite sitcom. And I think it was really well done. I too. can watch it any day, yeah. all day. If there's a marathon on, I don't even <laughs> care that I've seen it a hundred <laughs> times. I can watch it, and I love it for what it is. But this gives me something much different because 
the character relationships are complicated. Right. The characters themselves aren't as flat. Mm-hmm, There's mm-hmm. a lot of dimensions to it. And it's, you know, in a set in a modern world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I love what they've done with Hillary in the, oh, in the new show. She is, there's so, so much. much depth to her. Yep. Still gives you kind of that, some of that surface stuff, but they've get, gave her this entrepreneurial spirit and this creativity that wasn't necessarily in the sitcom. But it's still semi-true right. to some of the archetype of that character. Exactly. But the, I think it just brings a different depth to the story, the way they built her. And that's what I was getting ready to say, because even in the original, like, Hillary was an entrepreneur. It, mm-hmm. was, just, it was just that her intelligence mm-hmm. was so flattened as a character that she was only able to do but so much. Yeah. So by setting Bel Air... As a drama, I think that really gave the screenwriters just a lot of a lot more room yeah. to fill her out. Because as a comedy, you really I mean, you had to flatten her out. Yeah. Um, but that that's really cool. I'm even I mean, Carlton. Oh, yeah. Who man, yeah. we took a character. You look at Carlton in the, in the you don't like him, but it's like you still love him. You do. You you really like man. But the, in this show, they are trying to make you really not like Carlton. Like but I, to your core, <laughs> I feel like you still do. You though. feel you start to feel bad. This start to become a Bel Air <laughs> podcast. Maybe we need to do that. Yeah. Maybe we need to do that. But you start to feel like sorry for him. Yeah, yeah. More than you like. It's hard to. It's like it's a genuine like concern. Yeah, it's concerned, but it, but you're also like, God, you and that's kind of the beauty of it. You don't have one way to look at any characters exactly. in the show. Everybody is kind of like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know, right? <laughs> Which I love in television, where you flip the whole idea of who, who, who do I like in the show? It's one of the reasons I like the social secession, which is the example of original content. Exactly, it is an example of that's a show a that's not based on any other show that's out. It's completely built in its own world mm-hmm. and we're getting introduced to new characters in a new place but in secession it's hard to to really side with anybody because you start to see everybody's warts <laughs> yeah there's no real villains no real heroes mm-hmm. well i think maybe they're all villains mm-hmm. and <laughs> no real heroes mm-hmm. but yeah that that's a really good point and i guess you know we'll we'll see if this develops into an episode of its own yeah, but right. Right. i think what what i sense us saying is the the beauty of a reboot really can be that you can kind of explore expand mm-hmm. on some things that the original audience was probably craving in the first place mm-hmm. um, or didn't know they were craving and didn't know they were craving mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i think even with all this talk about reboot there's still room in the marketplace and the, for original content and there's still great original content being made and i think to mm-hmm. me one of the shining examples of that is jordan peele and what he's doing with his movies yeah. original screenplays that he is developing on his own he does pay homage to other especially in the horror genre mm-hmm. different things you hear him talk about it all the time in his interviews but in terms of storytelling original characters original mm-hmm. settings i think jordan peele is at the top of the list of of some of the original content that we've that we've seen. Is there anything else that kind of sticks out to you? Ooh. When it comes to original content? Oh my goodness. Um I mean the show I we think, show we just reviewed right. Severance is one. Yeah, I was just getting ready to say Severance on uh, Apple TV Plus. Mm-hmm. Um But then also I'm thinking of like uh what Nolan's Inception. Mm-hmm. Um one of my favorites. 
Right. Understandably so. Um, because, they, I mean, just the dream within a dream concept for me, I don't I can't think of any other movie that really plays with that, at mm-hmm. least not right here in this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but that felt very original to me. Mm-hmm. Very original. Um, oh, don't look up. Yeah. On Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, y'all, if you haven't streamed that yet, go look it up because you talk about a movie that really plays with just some of like the darkest sides of <laughs> society right now uh-huh. in a very playful way though. Mm-hmm. I think that's what was really cool about the movie because it was telling, it was t- turning a mirror to society that mm-hmm. was pretty bleak to look at, but it, the comedy was solid. Yeah. Um, so I think don't look up was a solid piece of original con- yeah. content too. Yeah. I think, I mean, another movie that is, I want to say it was a couple years ago, A Promising Young Woman, the uh, the girl oh, that kind of goes that? through and gets revenge on these <gasps> uh, serial abusers. and Oh, which streaming platform was that on? It was a, I don't know if it was, a, it was a movie that came out, so I'm not sure if it was oh. a streaming platform per se. Okay. I mean, y'all know, we don't, we don't watch regular t- TV, so. <laughs> yeah, I don't know when that, and other than Game of Thrones, I have no idea when anything actually comes Exactly. On. Yeah, that a promising woman was whoo. That was a good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, what genre would we put that in? Is that thriller, thriller suspense? Thriller. It's a thriller. Yeah. yeah, really good storytelling. Yeah, so I think one of the great things about original content is the ability to tell diverse and unique stories. Mm-hmm. You can really be way more creative with the things when you're not beholden to a previous text or a previous casting or right. whatever. You can really just flesh out a story in a universe in a world in a way that I think is hard to do sometimes if you're constantly rebooting. Exactly. Because in a reboot, you're, you're constrained by the nostalgia of your audience. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause if you stray from that too much, then they're not going to enjoy it. As the people from star Wars, they, Oh, you know, yikes. They went one direction. And then with the latest trilogy, they're like, Oh no. Hey guys. Hey guys. We, <laughs> we did. We saw the original. See, watch, we're going to, we're just going to duplicate right. it right here, right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and then you know that that opens the lane for different storytellers mm-hmm. um you know women people of color um lbgtq mm-hmm. community as well it opens up a lane for people to tell different kind of stories in different ways as well yeah yeah so what's the verdict to reboot or not to reboot there's value in both yeah you know i think we see a lot of reboots now and we'll probably still continue to see that because it's it's a proven formula. Mm-hmm. But there's still a lane for original content. There's yeah. still your original content could still cut through because of the uniqueness of it, because it's able to tell different stories. Mm-hmm. Um and I love a little bit of both. Love a little nostalgia, but it's nothing like being surprised by a story. Yeah. That's a good feeling. Real good feeling. So what did we talk about today? Well, we talked about church. Innovation, um, ways that the church has been forced to it. We talked a little bit about the church growth movement and how that may have contributed mm-hmm. to innovation. We even talked a little bit about changing our definition of growth mm-hmm. and how that is connected to how and when we innovate. And then we ended today talking about original versus recycled content. What are some of the positives of recycled content? Why is this such a hot thing right now? 
But then we also discuss the lane that exists for original content and the unique stories that could be told and the different ways to flesh out worlds and universes and original content as well. We did. We did talk about that. But the conversation is not (laughs) over. We would love to hear what you think. What are some of your favorite reboots? What are some of your favorite original stories even? And how do you see the church innovating? All of it. Let us know. You can uh, use the hashtag, hashtag talk about it, P-O-D. Give us your questions, your comments. Tell us what you thought of this episode. You can also reach out to us directly. Micah, how can they reach you? (laughs) You can reach me on Twitter at J Marie Morgan. And how can they reach you? They can reach me on Instagram and Twitter at Malcolm DOT Media. And also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us, lets us know that you guys are engaged and loving the show. Some mm. of the feedback we've gotten from you guys has just been great. It encourages us so much. And we love that you guys are enjoying the content. Yeah. We just turn on these mics and start talking. Pretty much. So it's great to see that people are seeing some value. <laughs> In that. Well, I think we did a thing. We did a thing. Thank you guys for joining us for this episode of Let's Talk About It. I'm Malcolm Morgan. And I'm Micah Morgan. And we'll see you all next time.